Hello and welcome to another edition of Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup Groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, New York City, London, Toronto and Zurich. Today we're interviewing a very special guest who's joining us um, from San Francisco, Eric Talbot. You're the Western Regional Director of MedShare. You're, you're here to chat to us and we're lucky we've got Brent Phillips joining in the conversation. Hi, Brent. Hi, Eric. Brent, do you want to just let everyone know in our um, uh, group what's going on with Eric? Yeah, so um, we're starting a new project where we're asking humanitarian actors how they would like to use Siri or or Alexa, you know, a, a popular digital assistant and what sort of queries they'd like to make of the assistant. And it it gives us an idea of questions that we can start to figure out how to how to answer using data published by humanitarian actors. So Eric's going to help kick us off and give us some, some questions he might like to ask Siri as part of his operations. So we're, we're here to learn more about what Eric does and how he might like to use a, an intelligent device, for example. So over to you, um, Eric, if you want to answer that question um, about Siri, or do you want to start by telling us a bit about MedShare? Sure. Thank you, Mia. Thank you, Brett. Uh, so yeah, real quick for context. Um, uh, MedShare uh, is a U.S.-based global health organization, and what we do is we distribute high-quality medical supplies uh, and biomedical equipment to communities in need internationally as well as domestically. Um, and so part of our, one of our programs is disaster relief, um, and this is part of what we've been doing recently with responding to the earthquake in Puerto Rico, as well as the volcano in the Philippines, uh, and now the coronavirus, um, most recently in China. So earlier uh, this well, last month, early February, the first two weeks, based on the needs assessment and our partners on the ground, we were able to distribute over two and a half million masks to help protect frontline healthcare workers. And part of why we were able to do that was because of our uh, product partners. Uh, we were able to pre-position uh, these supplies at our different locations based on uh, disaster preparedness. Um, and so that's part of what we've been up to, why we're able to do it as we continue to monitor, monitor the coronavirus um, outbreak. Wow. What, what have you learned from that? Uh, yeah, it's complicated. It's complex. As we all know, you know today's March 2nd. Uh, things are still still moving, uh, still uncertain. A lot of uh, you know, conferences and events are being canceled around the U.S. and around the world. Folks are just trying to limit their travel uh, and really kind of uh, focus on, on containment uh, so we can get to the point of, of uh, uh, you know, control here. Um, and so, Part of the kind of transition to your question around AI would be, you know, part of the, a lot of things that are taking up our questions is a lot of uh, folks get, getting misinformation or not, or at least just being confused by the mix of misinformation and correct information that's out there. Uh, so a lot of our time, in addition to responding with, to the coronavirus and listening to our partners on the ground in different areas to help them prepare and be able to respond, it's also dealing with and sending folks to the, you know, the CDC website. So the Center for Disease Control here in the U.S., they're the main source uh, that we're sending folks to just to remind them from everything as simple as, you know, make sure they're washing their hands thoroughly and often uh, to understanding that they don't, you know, uh, as citizens or civilians, they don't need an N95 mask. And that by buying these masks and or hoarding these masks, they're actually exasperating the problem uh, because those masks need to go to the frontline healthcare workers um, in, in various situations. Because uh, it's still an Ebola outbreak in DRC, which we're also responding to and supporting, and just day-to-day hospital operations 
uh, around you know, here in the U.S. as well as around the world. Are you having trouble with them um, shipping, like shipping logistics, for example? Yeah, good question, Brett. So back to the AI question, right? So one of the questions would, you know, we always encourage folks and other folks in global health, particularly in disaster relief, is really emphasize, we cannot emphasize enough disaster preparedness. Any effective response um, is directly tied to the ability for, for readiness uh, and folks and organizations prepared to respond. So now that we've responded uh, and sent a few air cargo shipments, you know, some of the logistics challenges uh, in dealing with any government um, and going through a crisis is real-time updated information around the transportation uh, routes. What's available where, how much and when, because part of MedShare's mission and a lot of groups that do the work we do, we only send what's needed because part of the issue is, as we know, uh, we've talked about is the after, after disaster, uh, a lot of folks are motivated to do something. They want to they hear things or send stuff. And it's still estimated through academic research that up to 60% of items that are sent after the disaster are not needed and weren't requested. They end up causing in the distribution channel and actually prevent healthcare workers and humanitarian workers from getting the supplies that they need. Uh, so yeah, so visibility into transportation, uh, there's certain things that are happening that unfolded. Uh, so for example, is there air cargo going into uh, Wuhan? Is there air cargo going anywhere else in the Hubei uh, province? It, can it only go now into Shanghai? Now, these are all things that are, are changing in real time. And then where are those flights leaving from? Uh, whether that's Oakland, you know, Chicago, uh, different places so that we are prepared upstream to know, to manage the time that it takes to get, get those things, on, to get the supplies, get the mask uh, on a truck to an airport because they have a lot of clearance and um, inspections they have to do at the airport in order to get them on the plane on time. And then once they're on the right plane on the right time, getting to the right place, once they arrive, the right people know what's there, the details of the supplies, so they can effectively clear customs, work with the clearing agent, go to the government um, requests and uh, get them to the hospitals uh, and other NGOs on the ground, and then eventually to the end user, who's a healthcare worker. So any visibility into that pipeline, into that supply chain in real time would be a, a huge help to all uh, humanitarian actors and most importantly to the healthcare professionals putting their lives on the line on the front line. Brent, did you want to say yeah, something? It would be cool if you could ask Alexa or Siri, you know, like you say, you know, to actually coordinate a ship in addition to learning about the, the logistics, actually mm-hmm. initiate the, the transport and reserve the space on the ship and, uh, you know, and on the, on the airplane and, um, ready customs you know let them know that there's an important shipment coming in yeah. and to be ready for it and hey and then also um you, I, i'm based in portland maine right now and there's partners for world health one of your colleagues and something that they're yeah. always interested in asking is who on the ground can receive the shipment and who can transport it to location a or b yeah. or c yeah and the world health organization is another resource we're reporting other um folks are asking us about right i think they have a pretty active real-time map or close to real time, right? Uh, tracking the virus from a global perspective. So you've got the, the, the local, to your point, Brent, who, where, needs what, when, right? So we were talking about, we ship, we ship Metro already provided 2.5 million masks. Well, those all didn't go to one hospital, right? You know, to different NGO partners, different hospitals, folks who are, who are in need of those exact masks. We don't want to send anything that's not needed to the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and so being able to, and this is what I think the, uh, WHO is talking about 
is that efficiency is part of what's vital to an effective response. And so any visibility into, and so maybe there's a way where I just brainstorming with you here around ways of, of healthcare workers to be able to provide direct feedback. Cause we saw their call outs on social media, right? So how do, how's that information then brought into uh, a space where it can be responded to effectively? So we don't have 2.5 million masks going to one hospital because one doctor jumped on social media, but we have 2.5 million masks going to five or 10 different hospitals because yes, there's a need there, but we also need to prevent and be prepared from a supply chain perspective to continue to help and support these doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals who are there, they're exhausted, they're doing incredibly important work, putting their lives on the lines so that they know they're being supported to do to protect themselves to do the work only they can do but the rest of that process is all backed up and that's our responsibility to communicate and work together so any visibility and will affect the visibility into that will make it that much more powerful that's much more impactful will help us be able to prevent uh and limit outbreaks like this in the future that's that's really cool and while you were thinking i was realizing that you know we think of asking questions to siri but if somebody else is asking a question, it'd be great if Siri could notify us that, you know, that they would like to know of your capacity, you know, to get a notification that, you know, a doctor in Wuhan is, you know, curious about your, your supplies on hand. And, you know, it's kind of, it's cool to have a two-way discussion facilitated by these new devices. Um, Brent, I've got a question. So it would be Siri, if you're using a device like a mobile device and, mm-hmm. and maybe what Alexa, if you're using yeah, like a, a tabletop device, like what would be the digital assistance would be able to, you know, yeah. um, kind of like, and nowadays people are using a, you know, Alexa on your tabletop to con- mm-hmm. control the, the stereo speakers and your, your music playlist or to, you know, ask everyday questions. And it, it would be cool to expand those everyday questions to, you know, where, where is aid needed and, who needs it and when and how soon and how urgently. And Eric, how does that sound to you? What what would MedShare do with that? Yeah, I think it is for us, it's really back to the, the visibility, right? So I, I think the hypothetical would be, you know, in, in there's, there's many challenges here, but let's use the coronavirus as an example. You know, in a, in a very robust uh, health system like in China, versus in other places around the world where they're, they're, they're still working on strengthening their health systems, right? Maybe it's an integration with the internet of things, right? Like my office printer can send a message to, to send, you know, to warn or to notify the company to send me more ink, right? Well, supply chains have these, have these built-in processes where every hospital has their existing supply. They have, you know, their, their emergency supply, right? And so when, when, does, when does the notification get sent that we're now, we're running low on our existing supply at an unusual rate and or next level, we've tapped in to our emergency supply. And here's when we expect that to end, right? Is it a one time because it was an earthquake or a fire or is this ongoing because this is a, an infectious disease outbreak? To be able to kind of scale those, but to have those built into the model to be able to push that information out so you also can get so we also can get visibility into what's happening within a, uh, a, a network community because in addition to what's happening in China, what we've been able to send, you know, we're preparing for and we're thinking about the refugee population around the world. How are they happening and will continue to be impacted by this? As well as fielding requests, somewhat unexpected from us at first, uh, but is growing, is requests from folks here in California. 
checking in on masks, gloves, and gowns, and inventory, and availability. Um, so I think finding a way to, to, to aggregate that information, to be able to share it with folks who are tapped into an existing network of disaster responders, um, to be able to help us coordinate with each other quickly, to be able to say, okay, I, to your point, me, it's like, okay, we've got this. We've got 2.5 going to, to Ube province next week. And somebody else can kind of move down the priority list. Okay, that then means we can move 1.5 million to Shanghai, right? There's also these other within country or within uh, state situations where there's pre-positioning happening as part of the supply chain. Right. And, and you said something about California. Um, okay. No, I, I'm, I'm with you, Brent. Sorry. I, what, what did no, you I was mean? just, um, I was, like you say, with California and the idea of pre-positioning aid. And, you know, a lot of the tech community, they're not familiar with the whole concept of how humanitarian groups, you know, plan operations and future operations and position aid in strategic locations. And maybe you want to mention a little bit about that and, and then mention, you know, but, you know, in terms of a local, a local disaster you know, pre-positioning like what you're doing now. Right. So there's uh, so the part of the pre-positioning is, under, is understanding before disaster. So part of readiness um, is having, knowing where your, where your supplies are within your inventory, but also uh, upstream. Who from your partners, whether it's a product donor, um, another NGO partner, what do they have where, right? Because once again, once we start moving stuff, we see, we know, our inventory is running low and we're going to need more. So we can send that signal upstream to say, hey, we're moving out 2.5 million. We're going to, we estimate we're going to need another 1.5 million, right? So we're not waiting until we run out. We're sending signals early. We're moving this. Therefore, we're going to expect we're going to need this. Let them work on, on uh, maybe they have a warehouse, uh, you know, in by within California or in a bordering state. They can then begin to move their preposition to backfill our, our moving inventory. Um, out and so I think that is from a tech point where there's some, some opportunity for visibility into that because in the, the direct example is the North Bay fires. We've gone through th three years here in the Northern California of serious wildfires, right? And part of we keep working together to be better next time. We did not ex anticipate and did not want it to be three years in a row, but it has been. And so it's understanding of as of even within the Northern California versus what, what has happened in Southern California around the same time is this is unfortunately we're feeling like this is part of the new norm and we need to get really good and much better at the pre-positioning, being agile and being able to distribute, um, not only understand what we need to distribute, but that sometimes now our partners who have before provided us may be making requests from us. Fires is so on on topic for Australia as well. We've just come through right. a summer. That's my my hometown, and a lot of uh, Kangaroo Island, um, all, mm. all all those areas. We 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 saw the the images of of, of the koalas and kangaroos and people and yeah. damage as unprecedented, both in California and places like Australia. Um, anywhere else you can think of that that um, are a spot for for this kind of data and help? You well, know, I, was, I would like to... I would just <clears throat> say like donors, like for example, and then you have a donor who, who would like to learn how to how to support, you know, a relief operation. And the, it's nice for the donor yeah. to be able to ask 
ask about you and to learn about what you're doing as well. Absolutely, right? So there's, there's organizations like Charity Nav- Navigator, the websites you already kind of aggregate this data. They put out last top, list top 10 organizations support for coronavirus, uh, top 10 organizations support for the wildfires in Australia. Right? So th- there's our known sources, but how do we, tra- like to Brent's point, how do we then ne- take the next step of that and be able to say, okay, um, and here's what, here's what they are doing, and here's what's been done, and here's what the needs are, because just as we follow uh, the healthcare professionals and the hospitals, their needs list, we didn't have to turn around and communicate that to our donors and say, you know, you know, don't bring uh, any N95 masks if you're looking to donate those, right? Like the, the hardware store construction grade are not equivalent to the medical grade, right? So how do we proactively in a detailed way share with our community what is needed because it's different after an earthquake. It's a lot of orthopedics because it's a lot of broken bones. After a hurricane, it's a lot of uh, personal care items uh, because uh, folks are, are uh, out of their home. After wildfires, similar, a lot of personal care um, items, um, but different for an outbreak like this. So understanding that the details of what's called PPE, personal protective equipment, the different nuances within masks, the different types of masks, and that type of information to, to be able to share out effectively so folks who are, who are wanting to donate, so we do a call out with details and specifics so folks can find that, tap into that, make those strategic donations. So we're not stuck going through a bunch of stuff that's not effective before we can send out what little is effective. And that way it falls into what we talked about earlier, where they're getting exactly what they need in an organized session uh, so they can distribute it and help protect those healthcare workers. Yeah, that's really good. You know, just I was just thinking, you know, you're based in San Francisco. You know, you interface with tech companies every day. And I, I think you understand the nuances of all this better than others, you know, being so close to all these amazing companies. You know, how do you how do you convince other NGOs like yourself to take an interest in advancing technology and artificial intelligence and these capabilities to answer these questions? Yeah, yeah, I think it's about uh, collaboration, right? Because we all want to do our job. Really, we want to do it well. We want to help improve lives. So, how can we work together to do that? Because when, for example, you know, as NGO partners, we need to collaborate to be able to make sure that we're providing the right supplies to the right folks at the right place at the right time. And then working with tech companies uh, and, and engineers who want to help out, they need to be able to hear from us and understand the stories of on the ground perspective. Because uh, without that, that's how we some serious unethical issues or unethical algorithms, not out of anybody's malice, out of naivete or not knowing who to talk to or folks not being available or having these conversations so that we can all have a more informed or more robust understanding of these very complex situations that are escalating and changing uh, just in a, in a generation, let alone the past couple of years. And like I said earlier, like this, those of us in global health, a lot of my colleagues, we, we are understanding like this is the new norm and we need to be working together, communicating as effectively as possible to collaborate, to be able to have a positive um, and effective response because uh, there will be another crisis. There will be more natural disasters. Uh, and with the escalating issues around climate uh, crisis, this is going to happen in places and at times that we don't expect it to uh, based on the historical historical averages and data. 
So we always need to be ready. Yeah, so using data internationally, standardizing, coordinated, refining, um, better, what, better metadata, better, what do you recommend? Yeah, what do and you more, yeah think? absolutely, all, all of that and more real-time feedback mm-hmm. so we can adjust and be agile as we move forward because, you know, we're all, some of these things, we're, all, we're often on new ground together. So we take our experiences from prior uh, disasters or, uh, global health response, but sometimes they don't apply because there's a new angle or a new issue or an unexpected influence. And then to Brett's point, mm-hmm. you know, we would really love to develop this and move it out of disaster relief into everyday global health, which is what NetShare does and other organizations do all day, every day to strengthen health systems around the world because that's the best deterrent for, because we're all interconnected. That's the best deterrent to uh, an ineffective response is to have an on-the-ground, robust, uh, strong health system uh, in every country uh, and, so, and building that up to speed so that when these things happen, there's already a strong foundation in place and that we can tap into that local knowledge, that local skill, those folks on the ground to support them to do what they know how to do by providing just this, you know, the access to supplies or information they might not have or had had at hand. Yeah, it's amazing. And I love your work at MedShare. You know, you're, you're a, a crucial intermediary to help facilitate these things. And I, I think more people need to, you know, be, become familiar with organizations like yours and organizations like Partners for World Health. You know, what you're doing is just amazing. And Eric, is there any, anything you'd like to add or do you want to pitch what you're doing and how people can help? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, I think like I said, you know, for, for MedShare, if folks want to, to your point, want to learn more about what we do and how we do it, they can visit the website, medshare.org. We partner with 105 different countries around the world, uh, as well as domestically here through the United States to help provide high-quality medical supplies to communities in need. Um, and we do that through volunteers, uh, through financial support, and through partnerships. We're really, really big on partnerships and finding a way for those folks who want to help out, who want to be involved, who are also willing to do some listening and some learning uh, to come, you know, uh, get in touch with us, uh, ask some questions, uh, get involved. Because uh, it's going to take all of us uh, collectively um, to, to respond uh, and be informed about these issues because this is, this is going to continue to happen. Um, and the more we know, the more trust and more relationships we have ahead of time, the more effective we're going to be as global citizens to help support each other uh, and make sure that we can address these uh, challenging health issues as well as uh, environmental issues that are going to continue to happen. Wow. That sounds like we really need um, to to know what to do, Eric. Yeah. You know what do lay <laughs> people do? What can what can your everyday person do here? Uh, yeah. So for organizations like like MedShare, uh, you know, everyday people, we host volunteers at our three sites around the United States uh, five days a week. So we host over twenty thousand volunteers every year uh, through our three locations every day. Um, and then if you're not in the U.S., like find a way to get involved. You know, come with some humility and some uh, oper- You know, know that you're going to learn something, and that some processes are already in place because of this experience. Um, and just build some relationships and get to know people who are who are in this space who who've done the work, uh, and also um, find ways to you know offer unique your your, your unique talent and skill uh, to help support uh, and work together in, in collaboration. Thank you, and I know we're limited on time. Thanks for your time and everything. Yeah. Um, in closing, is there any any final thing you'd like to share with our community? 
Yeah, yeah, thank you. I do have to run, but I do want to say to folks who are listening who are already involved uh, with this, uh, with these questions and asking ourselves these questions and having these conversations. Uh, and let's keep them going because this is what we need. Um, and let's continue to, to work together to come up with uh, new solutions to improve efficiency and effectiveness while still being uh, highly uh, mindful and respectful of the healthcare professionals and the other humanitarian aid workers who are on the ground who are facing challenges every day um, and just know uh, and listen to where we can best help support with the supplies and the resources uh, that we have. Lovely. Well, thanks so much, Eric and Brent, for joining us from Maine. That brings this edition of Humanitarian AI today to a close. Bye for now.